Welcome to Grace Extended, a podcast from Grace Church of Ridgewood, where we equip the church by discussing how what we believe affects how we live. To find out more about Grace Church, go to gracechurchnj.net. Welcome back to the Grace Extended podcast. I'm Steve Polanin, a member at Grace Church in Ridgewood, New Jersey. And this week, Pastor Aaron Syverson and I welcome Pastor Scotty Holloway to the podcast. Pastor Scotty is the president of Mendenhall Ministries in Mendenhall, Mississippi. We at Grace Church are proud supporters of that ministry, and we're honored to call Pastor Scotty our friend. Over the years, Pastor Aaron and Pastor Scotty have spoken on the topic of racial reconciliation, and we invite you to listen to another of those conversations today. We recorded this interview a week ago on June 4th, 2020. All right, so we're here with Pastor Scotty Holloway. Uh, Pastor, welcome, welcome to the podcast. It's an honor for Grace Church to hear uh, from you today. Well, it's an honor for me to be here. Awesome. Thank and you. Uh, I'm excited about the possibility of doing this because this is, the, this is only the second time I've ever used Zoom. So <laughs> bear with me. You'll be a pro after this. Okay. <laughs> so that's for our listeners to know that anything can go wrong and it's okay. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> so maybe just for some context, uh, if you wouldn't mind, uh, Pastor Scotty, if you wouldn't mind uh, introducing or reintroducing yourself to us uh, and explaining a bit about what Mendenhall Ministries is all about. Okay. Well, hi, Grace Church. Again, I'm Scotty Holloway, and I'm president of Mendenhall Ministries. Uh, the ministry was started here in the early 1960s by a guy named John Perkins, and Dr. Perkins basically had a burden to uh, minister to poor people here in this area. And God has used him uh, since that time and used the ministry since that time to make an incredible difference in the lives of people here uh, in rural Mississippi. Uh, We have focused on reconciliation. We focused on education. We focused on uh, reducing the impact of poverty on the lives of people. So uh, we've we've, uh, developed a health clinic we have a volunteer ministry, we have a Christian school, and all these things are designed to break the cycle of poverty. And if we don't, and so the idea is to uh, break the cycle of poverty, uh, first poverty of spirit. So we want people to be saved, especially to know about Christ and all of that. But then we want to deal with the impact of poverty of pocket, because a poor person uh, you know, God saves people who are poor or people who are poor in spirit, but also uh, he saves the whole person. And so we, w- we want to minister to the entire person any way that the Lord would use us to do that. Yeah. Well, Scotty, it's been awesome. Probably over the last, what, two to three years now, I'm losing track that we since met and just the relationship we've been able yeah. to cultivate and the friendship. And uh, it was great meeting your wife last year, I think for the first time. And uh, I know my wife and kids uh, appreciate the visits you've had with them in our home. Um, but obviously with everything that's happening in, in the country right now and uh, specifically um, uh, the, the hurt and grieving that's w- within the black community mm-hmm. after the death of George, George Floyd and uh, just some of the obviously injustices that have sprung to the surface, just what could you share with um with us, what, what have these last 10 days been, been like for you personally? Um, boy, there's been a, 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 a mixture of emotions and uh, thoughts and feelings and 
uh, frustrations and anger and, and confusion. There's been, um, man, I, 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 I can't stop replaying, you know, history. Mm. Uh, a lot of African-Americans, and some of you may not know this, but a lot of African-Americans tend to think from the present to the past mm. because a lot of history has not been dealt with. And when you've been traumatized historically, uh, it's hard to see how to move forward when you haven't dealt with the present to the past. Yeah. And in the majority culture, everybody wants to move ahead. How do we get over this? How do we deal with this? How do we, how do we move on? And that tension between uh, our desire to move on and our inability to deal with trauma basically leaves us uh, in a position where it's difficult for us to communicate with each other. Hmm. And so I've, I've been, you know, thinking about those things and I've been thinking about my own family history. Uh, an example of that is uh, my dad, uh, and I'm going way back now, uh, who just celebrated his 80th birthday, by wow. the way. And he's still preaching, still doing fantastic. But oh, uh, when he was young, I think fourth, fifth grade, whatever, uh, he was taken out of school by a man Who's, uh, who happened to be white, whose property his family lived on. And he was told that he could not go back to school until he and his brother finished building this man's fence. Hmm. And my grandparents couldn't do anything about that. And so his formal education ended at that point. And so I'm thinking about that. And I think about uh, the, the instance, with, instance, instance with my son that happened uh, probably about six years ago. Uh, he accidentally forgot his key. And he was you know, trying to co go into our house and someone, we lived in a predominantly uh, Anglo neighborhood at the time, and somebody mm. called the police on him. And there were about eight to 10 police officers that, that showed up at our house and uh, they broke in the door and with guns drawn and they brought my son out. And when they brought him out, um, he uh, tried to explain to him that he lived there. And that's something that they weren't um, uh, uh, hearing you know, at that point until uh, an African-American police officer who happened to be with them that day said, stop, 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 he lives there. Wow. So I'm thinking we wow. could have lost our son just that quickly. And I'm thinking about, you know, just in my own life as well, you know, back prior to, and I think Aaron, you and I have talked about this, but uh, back when integration was, was before integration happened, actually, when I was um, about five years old, my dad asked me which school I wanted to go to. And my exact words to him at the age of five was that I'll get a better education at a white school. Now, what does that say about me and how I'm marked if I'm marked that way by the age of five years old and can articulate that? And being placed in the back corner of a classroom, being told on a daily basis by my teacher that I couldn't learn this stuff. You know, I would bring papers up to her. She would put a, put a big F on it. She'd circle it. And she said, I don't know why you're in here. You can't learn this stuff. Yeah. And day after day that happened and, 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 the place where I caught the bus every day at the age of six, you can get this in your mind, at the age of six, the Klan came two weeks after I got into that school 
and they shot up my grandfather's house. And my, my, my parents and grandparents, you know, could do nothing about it. Now, the FBI did come, I believe, and they did tell my parents who they thought had done it. But, um, you know, those are things that, that have been running through my mind, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in, over the last, you know, 10 days. Yeah. Uh, that's on the negative side. And so we'll get to the positive side when we talk about what the church can do and, and what we might be able to do about those kinds of things. But, but, but then even with the, uh, the thing with um, the police officers and what they did with the knee and all of this, yeah. um, what was hard about that for me, and um, it reminded me of, of postcards that, that I've seen where there were um, hordes and hordes of people who came to see an African-American person hanged. Uh, as though it was entertainment, it was picnic time. That's really hard. And basically what I saw in that, in that instance was that brother basically being executed on TV in front of God and everybody. And all of us as human beings, I think, uh, were incredibly hurt by what we saw. And, and I, I, couldn't, I, I also wrestle with the fact that had it not been able to be seen the way it was able to be seen, would any of us have really believed it? Right. Because African-Americans have been complaining and sharing their experiences for many years, but nobody was listening, or at least it seemed that nobody was listening based upon the behavior. And then, and then you know, people who say, well, he must have done something. Well, yeah, he did. Uh, he happened to be an African-American guy. And I, don't, I still don't know, and we don't, we don't know all of, all of what may have happened in the car and all of that. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that he had no fault, mm-hmm. but I am suggesting that whatever he did, it didn't warrant that kind of treatment. Yeah. So those are the things that have been going through my mind and, and, and how I continue to talk to my son and my daughters about these kinds of conversations. Um, and, you know, even here, you know, in Mississippi, you know, we've come a long way. Uh, but like our nation, we have a long way to go. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that we can ev- at least sit down and have a conversation about these things um, rather than um, try to, to prove who's right. I hope we get to the point where we can have a dialogue. Yeah. So that's that's my thoughts. That's what's been running through my mind. If that makes any sense at all. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I appreciate you sharing that. And I'm sorry just to, uh, to 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 hear and to know all the pain that's behind that. And I think that's says something right there. You know, when I asked you about the event, event, it's never just about that single event and video and George Floyd. From what I'm hearing from you and from others in the black community that this is not just a singular event, that this is the next in line of a long history yes. of things that are happening like this. So um, what, and, and maybe we don't all know the answers. I don't know if you've thought about this, but, but it does seem like the response is different this time. And, and unfortunately it's like Groundhog Day and that this is, again, this is not the first time it's happened, but but the response is so much bigger. Any thoughts on, on, on maybe why that might be the case? 
I think the response is bigger because more people saw it for what it really was. And I'm not, I don't know about the racist aspect of it, but I just know that, that the, the portrait of it is horrific and, and unimaginable and unexplainable. And because so many people saw it, uh, I, I think you, 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 it is hard to argue with what you saw, you know, uh, it, you got to do some real gymnastics in your own mind in order to come up with some kind of excuse for why this whole thing happened. Yeah. And so because all of us are in terms of our own excuses, I think disarmed because of what we saw, it touched us in a very visceral way. And I, I think we're at a tipping point nationally and maybe even internationally because the protests have gone international. Yeah. And I also think that the climate uh, of our nation uh, where battle lines were being drawn along the lines of political party and sometimes race, even in the midst of all of that, uh, it, 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 it forced us to look in the mirror of where we stand and what we think and why we think it, you know? And um, you, you almost can't get away from it right now because there are images that are haunting, uh, words that, that George spoke that are haunting, and um, it's unfortunate that it took such a, such a horrific event to cause us to think about uh, the fact that we are all created in the image of God, and that image is important uh, for all of us yeah. uh, to recognize. Um, but it did, and here we are. Uh, now, my prayer is that we never get to this point again that God somehow and that we as God's people use this as a way of growing through these events, you know, and, and he has entrusted us for such a time as this. Yeah. You know, he didn't entrust us to generations before because they may not could have handled it, but in his providence, he has entrusted it to us. Now the question for us as believers, those who claim his name is what are we going to do about it? Hmm. that's 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 the, the the primary thing for me i guess wow it's very powerful hearing um from your life experience because hmm. as you said from i think uh one of the things that well the reason why we're doing this is because uh we were really affected by what happened also uh sure. viscerally and but we also know that we don't know what it's like to be um, a black American and have to mm -hmm. live through anything like that. And we live with a privilege that's just given to us in this culture. So mm -hmm. from what we could, uh, from what we could gather from uh, listening to people on uh, social media, uh, black um, influencers on social media that, that we should be listening. So mm. I'm really happy to be listening to what you just said right mm. there. And I'm, um, uh, <laughs> I just, I don't want to even take control of the conversation because sure, no but I do want to leave. I think, I think what you, what you led into kind of goes into our, our next question, which was, um, based on your, on your pastoral experience, 
in all different contexts and regions of the country. Um, what can we do and what, I mean, what are, what, what in your mind are white Christians in particular unaware of when it comes to the black experience in America? Okay. One of the things I think that it would be good for my Anglo brothers and sisters to really understand is that this is life for us. This is not an event. This is life. And because it's life, you can't, you can't put this skin down as much as you might want to. You can't, you, can't, you can't all of a sudden blend into society in such a way that people don't look at you like you are. You can't, you, you can't this is just hard to explain. I, I guess the best way I can illustrate it is when my son came to me when, I, when he was about five years old and said, Dad, I wish I knew what it felt like to be white just one day. with all the progress that we've made over the years, with my son who's now 22, uh, able to say the very same thing to me, basically similar to what I said to my own dad, uh, it tells me that you know, there is something about judging people on externals that really, really creates a major problem for us. I can't judge you based upon your externals. Um, and I've been taught that over the years. Um, and I, I guess I'll get back to the, the, the first part of your question, but let me, let me explain it this way. Um, my first grade year, I told you guys about when I uh, was in uh, an all white school, the only African-American kid in that school, placed in the back corner of the classroom, and getting Fs every day from my teacher who basically didn't even take time to look at what I gave her. I had two friends. And if anybody is, is wondering, what can you do? Listen, if you can be a friend, the reason I'm not, I'm not destroyed by anger over those events is I had two friends. Uh, one was a little girl, her name is Sheila McKinnis, and the other was a little boy named Ricky. Those two people were my friends, and I still consider them friends to this day because of what they taught me about me being okay. I think another thing that, that, that can really be helpful in terms of us dealing with this is being able to be truthful. You know, uh, many times I think we try to prove that we're right. That we have a point to argue. Yeah. If we stop arguing long enough to listen to each other. Now, when I say that, what I mean is, as African Americans, we have to master majority culture in order to function. If you don't master majority culture and you just simply act based upon the way you think you ought to act, mm -hmm. you're going to have problems. And by the same token, as African-Americans, we got to love our brothers enough and sisters enough to be able to communicate with them truthfully and 
to give them the freedom not to understand. Because you, if you've never seen an elephant and you just touch his hind parts, mm. you will never comprehend the elephant. Yeah. You'll only comprehend what you have under your hand. And when people of colors try to share with you what their experiences are, and you say, well, I haven't experienced it that way, you only have your hand on the elephant's backside. You haven't seen the rest of the elephant yet. So uh, being able to communicate truthfully, being able to, to, to really, uh, what do you call it, uh, for all of us to really comprehend and or try to comprehend the fact that we don't know everything. Mm. And it's okay. But as my brother and as my sisters, I have to love you more than I love my own story in order to free you from what you're dealing with. And you have to love me more than you love your own story in order to free me from the pain that I deal with. That's good. That sounds kind of biblical to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if all of us concentrated on doing those kinds of things, uh, we could, and especially if we see racism as sin, we could in short order deal with it in a way that brings God, honor, honor to God, honor to God. Um, and <laughs> I think would impact our nation in a way that, uh, and the world in a way that God really wants to impact it. You know, by this men will know that you are my disciples because you have love for one another. Yeah. Uh, and so I have to love you enough to say, Hey, you may not understand, but I am committed to you and no matter what. And, uh, and we have to live that out. Mm, that's so helpful. Um, yeah, I, what, what, what's gripping me is that the couple of times you've talked about yourself as a five-year-old and then your son as a five-year-old is that our, our oldest Caden is five starting mm-hmm. kindergarten in the fall. I know mm-hmm. Steve, um, his son's also five starting kindergarten in the fall. And yep. I know for a fact he will, he will never talk to me about the color of his skin because it's not on his mind. Right. And he's not thinking about what school he should go to as a five-year-old. Right. And, and that's in, in a microcosm of white privilege is that those are obstacles and things that he does not think about because of the color of his skin that, mm-hmm. um, and, and, that and that ultimately in this country, uh, whites aren't forced to have to think about minority culture but people right. of color are forced to think about what it's like to be a majority culture. And I think that was just really helpful. You laying that out. Could, one other question, maybe before we pivot towards how's the gospel kind of shaping speaking mm-hmm. to this is um, I, I think something that's definitely, I, I think prevalent all around the country, but certainly much more in the North, like in us is people would say, okay, I'm, I'm not personally racist. I'm not flying a Confederate flag outside my, uh, you know, outside my house. I, 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 don't support any of that. And, and so, and so in their minds, it's not really a problem because they don't see or deal with personal racism. Can you talk a little bit? I'm sure this could be a whole podcast in itself, but sure. the, the difference between racism on a personal level and a systemic level. Okay. I think we have to come to the realization that we live in a racialized culture. Everything about our culture basically is built around race. It has been, and and it just is. You think of the Native Americans, 
and the, the plight that they've experienced. You think of um, African-Americans, the plight that we've experienced. And here's the other part. You think of Anglos and the plight that they've experienced. See, the mere fact that your son doesn't have to think about that, there's race involved in that. Yeah. And when we look at even many of our symbols of our nation, for example, even the, even the national anthem, uh, there's a stanza in there that we don't sing. Mm. And that stanza in there basically says, for those individuals who were slaves, who were looking for the same freedoms that those who were colonizing the, the area were looking for, the, 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 the person who wrote it basically said, those individuals should be put to death. Mm. Wait. They should be put, you're saying they should be put to death because they see a different way to freedom that you want for yourself, and they're trying to get the same freedom for themselves. Well, why should they be put to death? They're looking for the same freedom you're looking for. And so when you think about things as ingrained in our culture as that, uh, we live in a racialized world. And it, it just is. It is what it is. And and you know, sin does that to us. Yeah. You know, and all of us uh, as people can be racist because there's not one sin that one person has that other people don't have. <laughs> mm. Sin is an equal opportunity kind of thing. And so uh, we have to deal with this uh, in a way that uh, brings you know, honor to God, then the truth of the gospel is, is what really makes the difference for yeah. us, yeah. you know? Um, so I, I don't know if I've answered all of your question yet, but, but those are some thoughts that I have, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's sinister. It's, it's, uh, it sneaks in on you, uh, yeah. because it's so much a part of our culture, uh, that, um, you know, and, and uh, I hate to do this, but even when you have the authority to shape how someone else's protest is, is practiced, wow. you are basically saying because of your position and or your position in culture and society, uh, because you're a part of the majority, you explain the narrative the way you want to. And if you can explain the narrative the way you want to, then the other person who is protesting, you know, you, 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 you would argue that's unreasonable. But you're not under that knee or so to speak. You, you can't feel that. So anyway, that's, that's, I hope that answers. No, that's at least part of it. Yeah, powerful. I got a phone ringing here. So. Hey, I haven't heard a house phone in a long time, man. We that's 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 great. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually I'm here at the ministry right now. Oh, great! But um, but yeah, it, so so those things are um, are the things that that we as believers need to think about. Mm -hmm. You know, how do we as believers? I, and I, I, you know, and I, I may be getting down to a, a, another question here, but I do not expect our world to do anything about this. Mm. I expect them to be moved emotionally. I pray that somehow these things will stick. But I do expect those of us who are Christians to take a lead on this. Yeah. 
and do whatever we can to break down this whole thing about race. See, we have a chance now to be leaders in this discussion if we, if we how do you say this, allow the gospel to speak for itself. Mm. You know, and, uh, you know, it was Jesus who went to the Samaritan woman and he was totally Jewish when he went to her. And in our culture, sometimes I think uh, people ask, you know, how white do I have to be in order to be loved by you as a, as a, as a white Christian? Mm-hmm. Or how black do you have to be in order for me to love you as a Christian? Or how much like you do I have to, have to become in order to be accepted by you? Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. If Jesus accepts us, we don't have to do those things. But we, as, as believers, sometimes we do that yeah. to each other. And it's heartbreaking, but true. Yeah. Wow, that's very powerful. And I hope our listeners are feeling as helped by this as, as I am, as, 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 as we are. I just hope, I do, um, I do hope that what you said is true, that we we take the lead and we use what we're hearing now to yeah. enact some change. Um, yeah. So to go off of what, what we were, what we're kind of getting to next is uh, you mentioned the gospel and how it, we should let it speak for itself. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to kind of flip how I, I wrote this down. Cause I've been hearing um, a little bit, not, I, I wanted to differentiate that, you know, uh, we've been separated from our church body for a while. So this, a lot of the messages that, I've been hearing are just, you know, being bumped around everywhere on the news, Mm -hmm. on social media. And one of the ones that um, has been bumped around just within, I don't know, Christian social media here and there is that um, I think it's well-meaning or coming from what they think might be a good place, but it just seems like something wrong with it. People are saying things like uh, what's happening now is not a skin issue, but a sin issue. And we shouldn't Mm -hmm. really be focusing really on, you know, saying black lives matter, but we should be focusing just more on just, just preach the gospel. And that should be our main focus. And I, I feel like I know what, where they're coming from. Uh, this is also, it seems to be coming from, you know, white or, or, or majority culture uh, people. So it just seems like there's something wrong with that there. And I know that the gospel does speak into this issue. So, um, how would you say the gospel uh, shapes and forms the foundation of racial reconciliation? Okay. Um, Let me put it this way. Number one, I think God in his genius made us exactly the way he wants us. When he made those individuals who are white, white, that's exactly what he wanted. When he made me the way I am and others the way they are, that's exactly the way he wanted. Yeah. And he made no mistake when he did that. Amen. He chose to do it the way he did it. Now, to say that I'm going to all of a sudden disregard the external that God has given me or given you uh, for the sake of arguing that we're colorblind or, or, or some other thing like that, or it's just all lives matter. Yeah, that, all that's true. But it, I think it negates the beauty of what Jesus wants to demonstrate. 
Yeah. You know, Revelations talks about, you know, every tribe, every tongue. Yeah. You know, these people didn't give up their ethnicity in order for them to become believers. Or in Matthew 28, uh, make disciples of all ethnicities. So he's not at, oh, I'm sorry, to go back to John chapter 4, the woman at the well says, how is it that you being a Jew ask me a Gentile for, a, ask me a Samaritan for a drink? So she recognized that he was Jewish. She understood her own person being a Samaritan. And what's interesting is, even when she came out with that racist statement, how is it that you being a Jew asked me a Samaritan for a drink? Jesus didn't all of a sudden pounce on her until she said something about her daddy's worship here and your people worship there. Hmm, your father's worship there. When Jesus' father comes into the picture, all these other things, that's when Jesus basically began to tell her who exactly he was. So our daddy created all of us exactly the way he wants us. And we don't want to minimize the beauty that he has entrusted to us. Yeah. Every culture, every people has something in it, I believe, that I need in order for me to see God better. And if we begin to value each other like that, and try to see what is it that God has entrusted to African-Americans or what is it that God has entrusted to people who are from the majority culture? What do I need from them in order for me to see God better? Then I really think that we have a chance to really become a different people because we value each other. And see, for so long, we've been taught to think as people that we don't need anybody else. Hmm. Well. Even, even, even the Lord said, basically, it's not good for this boy to be by himself. I will make a helper suitable for him, you know, in Genesis 1 and 2. You know, so I'm not designed to just worship with and be with people who just look like me because I'm missing out. I'll be missing out on something. And guess what? You're not designed to be with and to love people who just look like you because you're going to be missing out on something. As soon as, we, as soon as we realize that we need each other in order for us to communicate an effective gospel, need each other to communicate and to understand more about who God really is, then, um, you know, I think we can really make some headway with this. But until we do that, um, you know, we, we have to be able to... Uh, uh, to really see the value in each other. Mm. You're, uh, to put it another way, you're not all you're going to be if you, you're not all that God wants you to be if you just remain with people who are just like you. You yeah. can't do it. Yeah, that's good. And in fact, to put it a different way, uh, man, y'all got me started now. Yeah, let's go. Sorry. <laughs> you know, when, when, when God wanted to demonstrate his wisdom, uh, in Ephesians 3, mm -hmm. he used a word that has with it the idea of things that don't come together in our own imaginations, in our own minds, but because of the, of, the, of the person of Christ, because of God, they come together and they are held together well. Mm. Like, like 
For example, the word in Ephesians 3.10 is that God is, God's intent is that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. God desires to reveal a mystery. And the mystery is, it seems to me, that things that seemingly don't come together, like it, th that word is used of the incarnation. How is it that God became man and, and tabernacled among us? Yeah. Uh, I, my mind can't conceptualize that. How is it that, 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 that Christ can cease to be God without ceasing to be God so that he could be God for you and me? I, I don't know how you get all that. How is it that a man and a wife can get married and both of them have so many differences and all of a sudden, because of Christ, they're able to hold this thing together? Those three words are connected to that word mystery. And, mm. the, and the final one, and, and another one is that Jews and Gentiles are heirs together, members together, and sharers together in the promises of Christ Jesus. Yeah. The only way that that can happen is Christ has to do it. And, his, and this mystery that he wants to reveal is all about us demonstrating, listen to this, not to each other, hmm. not to the rest of the world, but demonstrating to angels in the heavenly realm that our God is the great administrator of all things. And because he's the great administrator of all things, we as his people get a chance <laughs> to be clues about what God wants to do and the mystery that he wants to reveal to demons and the rest of the world, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But what happens when the clues aren't the clues? What happens when the clues change and they're not consistent with the facts or whatever? People end up being confused. And Satan has used this whole thing about race for so long, and he's beaten us half to, de to death with it. And God wants us to, to be his people and to bring it back full circle so that we value what he values. We value people who have souls, and we move to share the gospel with people who have souls. And it doesn't matter who they are. What matters is who we are in him. So. That's awesome, Pastor. I'm, I know what passage I'm going to have you preach on when I, come, when I, when I have you come up to, to grace. And <laughs> Ephesians 3 okay. is yours. Um, oh, appreciate that. Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's really great. Is this, a, is this a fair statement that, that the gospel um, doesn't erase color it celebrates color. It redefines it mm. and celebrates it. Mm -hmm. Because when I say that, what I mean is, it's, it, our, our skin colors are not our problem, so to speak. It's a problem, but it's not our problem in terms of once we come to Christ, it shouldn't be our problem. Um, we are new creations. The old is gone, the new has come. And we have to, I think, work diligently to value our brothers and our sisters. We are brothers and sisters. We're in the same family. Your daddy is my daddy. You know? Amen. And that has to be who, the way we define ourselves. Uh, and even though our culture might not define us that way, wouldn't it be something? 
if we as God's people defined ourselves that way, because I, I really think that Jesus said something about that, you know, that we might be one, uh, yeah. John 17, but, but also uh, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 3, uh, basically that we have one, one God and Father of all. Yeah. And like you, you know? said, Revelation, every tribe, every nation. And that's a, yep. that's, a, that's, a, that's a diverse table at that marriage supper, right? I mean, that's, that's uh, exactly right. Yeah, that's good. Exactly right. And so we're blessed to be a part of the kingdom. Now let's, let, let's act like we have the same king. Mm -hmm. Do you feel then uh, that you're pretty hopeful when it comes to racial reconciliation in America um, or just within the church? I'm, I'm actually. Hopeful. I'm hopeful and prayerful that we as the church gets it, get it right. If we get it right in the church, we will impact the rest of the world. Hmm. You know, uh, Jesus talked about, you know, drawing all men unto himself if he's lifted up. If we lift him up in this area in particular, because Satan has beaten us down with this one. He has. He has beaten us down. Hmm. He has weaponized it to yeah. such a degree until we have trouble even communicating with each other but if we uh, uh i won't say allow ourselves but if we take on the task of saying i am going to be a biblical christian no matter what and the other thing is i am going to stay in the conversation and in the relationship even when i'm misunderstood even when i may feel rejected even when I don't even understand why I'm even trying anymore, that you remain in that conversation, that you remain in that relationship, then I honestly believe we can make a difference. Hmm. But if it's, if it's just a matter of you being convenient and you trying once or twice and then you didn't get the result that you wanted and all of a sudden you say, now I'm going to, yeah, I tried that and I've done that. That's all I'm going to do. Listen, my task every day is to ask myself, Lord, is there anything in me that needs to die today in order for me to become more of who you want me to be? That's my task every day, every day. And if I do that, surely along the way, I can't help but grow in dependence upon him. And I also can't help but grow in relationship to I'm sorry, uh, to those around me um, and that will help me and confront me and challenge me to become more of who he wants me to be. So good, man. I, brother, appreciate you coming on and being able to chat with us. You know, again, I've, I've been so blessed and encouraged by our friendship and the conversations we've had in this area. And I'm, um, it hasn't just helped me as a pastor, but as, as a Christian, first and foremost. Wow. And um and the opportunity and technology here to be able to amplify your voice to uh to the people of grace we are uh we're blessed by it and so we appreciate uh you taking the time and uh we're praying for you praying for the ministry down in mendenhall um i don't know if you mentioned this but you grew up in mendenhall right i mean so you're yeah. you're kind of you know back back home and and, and leading and and john perkins who founded the ministry was a civil rights yeah. activist and so you're yeah. you're just you're doing the lord's work and we really um just appreciate your time and um energy that you're able to uh bless us with mm. well man i can't tell you how much grace has has come to mean to me mm -hmm. uh you know my 
first visit there. I came to visit you. Thank you. Uh, thank the Lord for that. And um, I was moved then. I'm still thankful to God by your willingness to even listen and to uh, enter into conversation. We went out to lunch that day and, and, uh, and you committed to some things and what, and everything that you committed yourself to or committed the church to whatever you followed up on every one of those things. And because we have a relationship and because the, because the ministry and, and Grace Church is developing a relationship, uh, we can have conversations and we can grow together and, and support each other in ways that, uh, that we never thought we, we, we would, you know, mm. to be frank. And yeah, I am in the area where I grew up, uh, which is about mm, four miles south of here. Uh, and Mississippi is, is, is home for me. And so, um, I'm, I'm grateful that God has brought me back. Uh, and it still has its struggles and, and our ministry does as well, but we're working as, as diligently as we can, uh, to do what we can, uh, to bring glory to God with regard to that. So, amen. That's all we can do. All right. Thanks again, brother. We want to thank Pastor Scotty for talking with us on the podcast. You can find out more about Mendenhall Ministries at mendenhallministries.org. Check out the description for the link. You've been listening to Grace Extended, a podcast of Grace Church in Ridgewood, New Jersey. To find out more about Grace Church, go to gracechurchnj.net. You can send us an email at gracenjpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back next week, and we look forward to seeing you then.